Welcome back to Closer Mentality. I'm your host, Julia Mellett. I'm joined on episode 45 by former professional soccer player Wells Thompson, who will work through how he utilized soccer to stay out of trouble. Thompson grew up in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and as most athletic kids do, he played a ton of sports, including, but not limited to, basketball, baseball, hockey, and golf, and even swimming. Nothing could compete with soccer, though. What he found was that including supplementary sports helped him become a more well-rounded soccer player, even at a young age. They all help you. Um, there's so much specialization in the world today, especially in youth sports. You know, kids, if they're, you know, I don't know. Um, it's just easy. Like they do one thing and they train all the time. And um, But I think, I think the overlap of sports and the different skills, you, <clears throat> excuse me, the different skills you learn. Like I think, you know, so baseball, for example, uh, I was really good at baseball. So that was probably my second favorite sport. But it, my dad said it was just too slow for me. But really in baseball, you have to anticipate, you have to think ahead. So I think that helped me in soccer. Um, in hockey, I was, I was a very aggressive soccer player and I was a very aggressive hockey player. I always kid, like, I think I spent the majority of my time in the penalty box. Um, but, I, but I totally think like the skills I learned on the hockey rink um, correlated to, to my success on the field, you know? And there's a lot of stats out there and I'm gonna butcher it, but like, 80%, 90% of NCAA football players are, are two-sport athletes. Thompson was playing sports that required arm strength, core strength, leg strength, and endurance. So he found that transferring those skills to soccer made him a naturally versatile player. You know, I grew up playing forward, um, center midfielder. And so, you know, as I got older, I ended up dropping back into the center midfield. That tends to be where especially in the youth, one of the best players plays. Um, so it wasn't until college where um, I, I think a lot of it for me being the midfield was I did have the ability to um, run a lot, you know, and, and work hard. And that was kind of my MO. And so I was going to play both sides of the ball. He found that his need to run freely actually tracked back to a mischievous side. But that part of his personality soon caught up to him in a big way, and it derailed his potential to play college soccer. When I was like 12, 13, I started getting, I started drinking, and I started, um, and that kind of escalated pretty quickly for me. Um, I thought that was cool. Um, I wanted to, to kind of be cool, you know, I wanted to fit in. And so by the time I was 16 years old, my life was so out of control. My parents knew they had to step in to save my life. I wasn't living at home. I was literally going to end up dead or in jail um, because all I cared about was drinking and drugging um, and hanging out with people I shouldn't have been hanging out with. Thompson's situation proceeded to get so detrimental to his success that his parents made the executive decision to send him 12 hours away to a lockdown facility in upstate New York. Strategically placed in the middle of nowhere. So I spent a year and a half there. I really hated every. I didn't hate every day I was there, but I didn't like being there. I mean, I was there against my will, um, but it was one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. So do you, needless to say, there was no colleges recruiting me at that school. And so I stayed there from 16 to 18. My parents knew I wanted to play college soccer. I was smart. Like I learned the system. I learned to like, if I behave, I'll get out of here quicker sort of thing. And so I got out of there minimum stay 18 months. My parents brought me home. Um, I grew up five minutes from Wake Forest campus. And so I knew the coaches. And they had coached me growing up and stuff. And 
they they started recruiting me my senior year. Um, I ended up shattering my collarbone in seven places. By the grace of God, didn't have to have surgery, but I repeated my senior year back home. So essentially, you know, I had some offers from some smaller schools, decent schools, but I wasn't heavily recruited at all. That lack of recruiting, especially for a sport that he had fallen in love with, lit a fire under Thompson. He had time to make up and a chip on his shoulder. Wake Forest men's soccer, a historically dominant program, seemed like the perfect place to prove his worth. The only issue was that he would be already working with a penalty, the walk-on system. I'm not sure I was fully aware of what I was getting into. Um, like I really, I knew that Wake was good and this was kind of when they were coming into their dominant phase. Um, I knew they were good, um, but I just knew that I could compete, you know, I mean, it's like when you watch them, when you're in high school, you know, when you're in middle school and you're watching high schools, you're like, ah, wow, they're good. I don't know if I can get there. Then you get there and you're like, man, I'm good. I'm actually better than these guys. And so I just remember that happening when I went to wake. Um, I was just like, man, I can fit in, I can compete. And I think it was a struggle. It was a challenge, like going in and, you know, everyone's, you know, high school Americans and you're kind of like, uh, not many people really know who you are. But I, I like that. That's actually kind of how I, how I rolled my whole life. Like I, I, I never played ODP Olympic, Olympic Development Program. I tried out for years and years and never made it. And it's not like it didn't just make it. Like I didn't even get close. So um, you know, again, that prepared me to go into, you know, against all odds situation and and rise to the top and thrive. So I was competing against like Gatorade National Player of the Years guys that literally captained our U.S. U12, 13, 14, 15, 17 national teams, like the best of the best, right? And I was just kind of a scrub local kid that kind of walked in. And when I was drafted, when I was drafted four years later, fifth overall, the coaches said, we thought you'd never play a day at Wake. And I said, gee, guys, thanks for the confidence, you know? Um, but honestly, it was, um, you know, a lot of what I went through as a kid, I, I think really prepared me when I got to Wake. Um, I knew what struggle was. I knew what challenge was. I knew what like believing in yourself was when no one else believed in you. And so I think those things set me up where I saw a lot of guys that came in, they didn't have that. They didn't experience that. And they really struggled when they got to wake. What he realized was that his will to compete and the desire to solve his own problems had melded him into an impenetrable force of an athlete. I, um, I ended up going in my freshman season and playing well and uh, getting some starts and, and exceeding expectations and just working really, really hard. I think that's what got me on the field. My, my sophomore year is a little bit of a struggle, but my junior year is really when I broke out. And so I led the, led the team, led the, um, led the team in goals and points and made it to the final four my senior year. Unfortunately, didn't win it, but they won it the year after. It doesn't make me feel better that like I paved the way, but I'm really happy for those guys. <laughs> Over a span of 80 games played, Thompson started 66. He finished his career with the Demon Deacons after tallying 23 goals, 10 assists, and spending more than 10,000 minutes playing soccer at the collegiate level. When he graduated, Thompson was selected fifth overall in the 2007 Major League Soccer Draft to the New England Revolution. At the time, he was the highest draft pick the Demon Deacons had ever placed in any sport. Even through the accolades, though, Thompson continued to struggle internally. That was really hard, really hard. Um, so Wake was such a family. It was a family environment. Loved those guys. I went to uh, the New England Revolution. 
I was drafted fifth overall and um, I was in Boston. And so that was a little different, right? A little bit different. And um, there were some very big personalities on the team that I did not gel with. And um, I think that was really hard for me adjusting. Um, I also love Jesus. And so my junior year of college was when I gave my, I started following Jesus, like really started following him. And so when I got drafted, I knew that was my platform to honor him, glorify him and to love on other people as well. Right. And so, um, but Boston wasn't as receptive to it as maybe North Carolina would be or the South would be. And um, that, so it was really, it was really challenging, right? Like I was tested um, and those, and those tests were good. And, and that's usually what God does is he takes your, he takes your brokenness and turns them into blessings, right. And turns them into to lessons for you to learn. Um, but it was just difficult. It was hard. I was trying to figure out who I, who I was. It was a different environment. I was, I was kind of the top dog cause I was drafted fifth overall and they were big. And I had a, I had a really good first season, really, really good first season. Um, won the U S open cup first trophy in the, uh, the team's history. Um, we made it to the finals, the MLS Cup ended up losing, unfortunately, but my sophomore season was really rough. I, deal with an, I dealt with an injury in my heel that I didn't really understand what it was. Nobody could figure it out. It was like a bone spur, just kind of hampered me. Um, and then I just, you know, I just, I don't know. I don't know what it was. I just could never kind of get my footing in New England. So I ended up getting traded um, three years after that um, and playing in Colorado. So the transition was very difficult, very difficult. I mean, you're talking about going from, I mean, still in college, it's still fun, right? It's still like, this is awesome. This is like, it's like the greatest because like, it's all your friends, you know, and you're competing for something together. And when you go to the pros, it's, it's a different animal. It's a very different animal. I mean, there's guys on your team that you can't speak the same language with, you know, um, guys are getting traded all the time. New guys are coming in. You're fighting for your job every single day. It's a business at the end of the day, it is a business. And so that was hard. That constant struggle was once more an aspect of his game that he could utilize to get ahead. And that's exactly what he did. That was my MO. Like, I'm going to be fitter than you. I'm going to be stronger than you. I'm going to kick your ass. That's what I'm going to do. And so when you get to the pro level, everyone is fit. Everyone is smart. Everyone is good. And so really, it comes down to what's between your ears. He played three seasons as a midfielder with the Revolution, racking up 71 games played, a pair of goals, three assists, and 39 shots on goal. When he was traded to the Colorado Rapids in 2010, he felt dejected, like everything he'd worked his entire life for was falling apart, and he was on track to get passed around the league for the rest of his career. You know, again, just picture like an environment where there's 28 guys on the team, some guys get cut at the end of practice. They bring in new guys all the time. They're trying them out. They trade people. They bring in other new people. Like, it's just, it's a different environment, right? And you have to go out and you have to compete every day. And uh, it's hard. It's freaking hard. Um, you know, you go through ups and downs. Um, and it's, you know, it wasn't all a struggle. Like there were obviously some really good times I had, and there were some times where I felt like I was playing really good soccer. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me is that I became an athlete that, that focused on not making mistakes. And when you do that, you lose. 
That feeling of losing sent Thompson spiraling mentally. He wasn't reaping the benefits of his hard work, and he couldn't outrun his demons. I played nine years professionally. I am just now getting to the point where, and it depends what day you ask me, like, but for the, for the, for the majority of my retirement, I've looked back at my career as a failure. I really have, because I don't think that I, I, I know for certain I didn't reach my potential. I think my mind got in the way. I, I, I really struggled um, when I was in Colorado, actually. Depression, anxiety, eating disorder, even suicide ideation. And all of this centered around not starting. I became very unhealthy in the way that I was living. Like I was the fittest guy on the team for sure. Um, but again, remember if you, if you remember me talking about like my MO was to, to, to work, to work harder than people. And so what we do as humans, we revert to what we're good at when things aren't going well. So what did I do when things were going well? I just, I doubled down on my fitness. I doubled down on my work. And so essentially I was overworking myself. I wasn't eating enough good food because I was trying to stay lean. And I've, I've always somewhat had a rough relationship with food. It's way better now. And I think that's probably because I'm not playing um, and my livelihood doesn't depend on my body. Um, but I think that's part of it. I mean, I think that we are, you know, it was, I, I attribute all of it to my thought life. Like if I didn't start or had a bad practice, I, did, it, I fixated on it. I ruminated on it. I, 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 you know, I couldn't get it out of my head. And, um, I just became obsessed with it. Like all I cared about was just starting, right? I just wanted to start. I wanted to play. I want to play every minute. And I wanted to prove people wrong. And I wanted to like do well. I wanted people see me on TV and those sorts of things. So again, I'm not a doctor and I don't know if I'm putting the right explanations to what happened to this. I just know that like, I didn't even get help during this time. Like I didn't go see anybody. Um, so I should have, I wish I did it. The, the, the one regret, like if I could go back and change one thing about my career, it would be to see a sports psychologist because man, I was, in, I was screwed up and I needed help and I didn't know how to do that. No team I was on had a sports psychologist or um, mental coach on the team. When I was in Colorado though, for Gary Smith for two years, he had a relationship with a sports psychologist and he gave us one free session. So I went because it was free and I didn't go back because I had to pay for it. And I'm an idiot, right? It's like, oh my God, this is your career. This is your livelihood. Why won't you invest in something like this? Um, so, I, you know, there's still, there's still a lot of stigma around it, misconceptions. And the majority of, from my knowledge, the majority of MLS teams know in the, well, actually that's not true. A couple of NWSL teams have sports psychologists on staff, people to address, you know, mental needs. But it's hard. I didn't know at the time what I was really going through. I mean, I've, for the most part, I'm a very happy, positive person. Um, and I, I thought I could kind of get through it. I just want to take a short break and thank BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. I'm so thrilled to be working with them again. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? All of the stories I've told thus far, including Wells, have been the vulnerabilities of elite athletes and team personnel. But what happens before they're comfortable speaking about some of the most difficult times in their lives on such a public forum? 
Nearly all of them have utilized either a sports psychologist or a therapist. Now, I'm bringing that option to you, the listeners. If you've ever listened to a Closer Mentality episode and thought, I feel exactly the same way. I've partnered with BetterHelp to bring online therapy to your phone and computer. BetterHelp offers video, phone, and live chat options, and you can speak to a licensed therapist in less than 48 hours. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. BetterHelp has more than 20,000 licensed therapists around the country, and you have access to them at any time. You can get thoughtful messages from your therapist, and if you aren't happy, it's free to change providers. If you're worried about the cost of traditional talk therapy, BetterHelp also plans for that. They offer financial aid if funding is the only thing standing between you and getting the help that you need. Join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. I have a special offer for all Closer Mentality listeners. You can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com forward slash closer mentality. That's betterhelp.com forward slash closer mentality. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. The link is also in the show notes. Now, let's get back to the story. Even during those feelings of inadequacy, Thompson was still performing on the field. He spent 2011 as a member of the reigning MLS Cup champion Rapids. But even with a ring and a litany of trophies, there was still something that filled him with unease. He played another season in Colorado before being traded again to Chicago Fire FC in 2012, and then to the USL's Charlotte Eagles in 2014. When I was traded from Colorado to Chicago, and I had the worst year in my career, and I was going to retire. I just I wanted to get away from the game. I was actually going to become a chicken farmer in eastern North Carolina, and that sounded awesome. I know it did to me at the time. Thank God I didn't do it because – I, it sounds miserable, um, but God called me back and I, I, I went to play for a, a team in Charlotte called the Charlotte Eagles. It was a Christian soccer team. And so I fell back in love with the game and I started to, um, I started to, God was doing a lot of work in me, right. And, and helping me try to find my identity outside of, of the sport and those sorts of things. And so my family was in Raleigh and I was commuting back and forth a lot. And um, after that season, the team went to, they changed names and kind of ownership and stuff. And I came back to Raleigh because that's where my, my wife was. She has her own business. And I wanted to play. I wanted to play for like five, six years. I wanted to get involved in the community, but it just didn't work out. The team kind of screwed me over, I got injured. So when I retired at the end of that year, um, it was really difficult because I didn't do it on my own terms. Um, I got, I had to hire a lawyer, workers comp stuff. They treated me like crap. So, and then I had to have three surgeries. And so again, I just woke up one day and I wasn't Wells Thompson, the soccer player anymore. And I didn't know who I was. And so, um, I'm still trying to figure that out. I mean, I think Lindsey Vaughn says it best. Um, retiring from pro sports is like a, a death and a lot of people mourn it for the rest of their lives. And I think I will, but I'm getting to a point where, I mean, I'm so blessed. I'm thankful that I was able to do what I did. I mean, the 1% of people do it, right? Playing in the United Soccer League system was a staunch difference from the glamour of MLS play. And that conclusion hit Thompson with a force. He says that the most noticeable difference was in the culture surrounding playing on each of the teams. 
um, the way you're taken care of. So that's everything from like pay to travel, to gear, to fans, uh, to facilities. It's everything. It's very different. Um, so this was what this was 2013, 2014-15. So a little while back, I'm sure things are a little bit better, but the USL just they I think they just formed their first players association, which is good, which means that they'll they'll be able to fight for players' rights and those sorts of things. That time in his life allowed him to realize that taking a break from soccer, potentially permanently, was what his life needed. He couldn't be Wells Thompson, the soccer player, for the rest of his life, and he needed to enter a period of reinvention. Um, at the end of the day, you realize all the, the shiny stuff fades. Like, I have an MLS Cup ring, and I have a lot of trophies, but, like, when I'm on my deathbed, I'm going to ask to see people. People's what it's about. Like, I honestly, I, I say this all the time, but I wish I could go back for a day and be a pro and either sit on the bench or be in the stands. And why would I want to do that? Because I would truly want to uh, cheer for my team from that perspective, because I never did. The guy that played in front of me, if he scored, that was not good for me. And I didn't like it. It pissed me off. I, I say this too. I, I wanted the guy in front of me to break his back. I did. Not really, but kind of. I did. Like, oh, I'm so sorry you're hurt. Now my turn, you know, like I lived and died by soccer and I don't know. I don't think that's healthy. I think that that's a, it's kind of a, a myth that like you have to be all in on one thing, but I think balance creates health. My identity was completely in soccer for 31 years of my life. I was Wells Thompson, the soccer player. And so when your identity is in your performance, if you have a bad performance, you don't feel good, you know, and when you have a good performance, you feel good, but that's so short lived because you're every day is a new performance, right? Because I left soccer doesn't mean that I left my problems. But I thought it was soccer, right? But it's really me. It's me, right? And so I'm still, I'm still trying to work on these things. I'm still trying to get help. I actually, I just, I just celebrated my 38th birthday and Thanksgiving Day. And I asked for a therapist for my birthday. So um, I'm looking, currently looking to get help. And, you know, it's really interesting when you think about that, like, it's so stigmatized and people are embarrassed by it, but like the number one advice you get as a business person or even as like a young person is to find a mentor. And that mentor is basically kind of a therapist. Like my wife's my therapist, my dog's my therapist. Like it's, it's just semantics, but we all need help. His reinvention took him all over the workforce, but he never imagined he'd ever be back in the soccer industry again. It had been a sour breakup, and he had effectively shunned that period of his life for the sake of his mental and emotional health. I never wanted to get back into soccer, ever, never, ever. Uh, when I retired, I bounced around trying to find things to do, coached a little bit, which is what most pros kind of resort to. I was like, I got to figure out who I am. So I got a real, a real world job, and I was in sales, and I was traveling, I was starting to have kids. And I'm a little bit of a go big or go home type guy. Like, I don't want to do something. I'm not going to do something that I don't like. I'm very purpose-driven as well. And so it was three years into this business. I had my third kid. My wife owns her business. And um, it was just getting too much. And I was like, I don't want to sacrifice my family for a job. And that's what most people do, right? They're like, I want to make more money and those sorts of things. And their kids are miserable. And 
Um, anyway, I just wanted to be a present father that like, I, I knew I was created to be a father. Like it's the greatest, hardest thing in the world, but I wanted to be there for my kids. Um, I had a great example of a dad and I wanted to, I wanted to be there. Like he was there for me. And so I started learning about the greatest transition of wealth in the history of the world, $17 trillion changing hands from generations, baby boomers retiring. And I was like, I'm going to go buy a business because that sounds really easy, right? It's hard. And uh, I didn't know what I was doing, but I'm a, I wanted to operate on faith because I, I stay often. It doesn't matter how much money I have in my bank account. I'm a rich white dude in America. Like my network, like when was the last time I had to trust God for anything? Like I know I will go, I will never have a day in my life where I don't have a roof over my head and food on my table. And uh, like, I, I, I shouldn't be playing safe, right? And I, I wish I didn't play soccer safe, but I don't want to play life safe now. And you look at, they do study after study of people in their deathbed, right? And, and what did, they ask them, what did they, what did you regret in life? And it's not, it's not regrets of action, it's regret of inaction. Thompson's self-talk was determined to continue challenging him, even if it was off the pitch. He was pushed toward ultra marathons, and suddenly he wasn't competing for a roster spot or a contract extension. He was fighting against a version of himself that was afraid of failure. That was the part of his journey that required failure. No one wakes up and runs 100 miles easily. It took training, even for a professional athlete like Thompson. But it gave him a purpose again, while stoking the flame of the fire inside him that thrived in exercise. The biggest mistake we can make in life is listening to ourselves as opposed to talking to ourselves. And so we always are talking to ourselves. We always are telling a story. And the greatest story we, we're telling is the one that we tell ourselves. And so a lot of the ultra running fits into what I do now with soccer resilience and even as a pro athlete. But I mean, you just understand your, your mind drives so much of things, right? Working out for me is like, is like breathing. Like I need it. I have to do it. It's really how I deal with life. It's my sanity. And so, I mean, there's a lot of studies around like what exercise does for you, right? I mean, everything from physical to psychological. And so that's it for me. Um, I, 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 f I find, you know, when you're hurting and you don't think you can, you know, you're at 50 miles and you're like, holy freaking cow, I've got to go 50 more miles. Um, you know, all the worries, all the stress that you have in life are gone. You're just present. You're in the moment. And yes, it's a little bit painful, but you realize that you can get through that stuff if you keep pushing on. I mean, I think it's such a metaphor for life. Like ultras are life. Life is an ultra, right? Like sometimes things are good and sometimes they suck. They really suck. Sometimes it's storming and it's muddy and you're climbing up a mountain. And other times it's sunny and you're trotting down a hill. One of those places was the finish line of first, a 50 miler. And so I was like, that's cool. Um, I'm going to try to run a little bit farther next time. So I did a 50, a 50 miler. Um, and then I did 100K, which is 64 miles. And then during COVID last year, um, I just, I just kind of got this wild hair to create my own race. And so I'm on the board of a, of a nonprofit called Hydrating Humanity. And so they dig clean water wells in East Africa. And so I was just, you know, my, my MO was like COVID, you know, it's like everybody's inside. Why We can still do something, right? And so I ran um, to raise awareness for Hydrating Humanity. We ended up uh, raising enough money to dig two clean water wells in East Africa for schools, which is like providing 
thousands of people clean water and they're for life, which is awesome. Um, so I ran and I, I ran a hundred miles in 24 hours and 40 minutes. And so that was really, that was really cool. And, um, yeah, I mean, look, we, we grow up and, um, we hear things and people tell us things and they're not true. Um, and so I just think that we're, we are capable of so much more than we give ourselves credit for. I call it, we have a dumb, we have a smart, dumb brain. Okay. So it's smart in that, like it keeps us alive and that it creates like shortcuts for us so that it didn't have to spend energy and like other things, but, but often it sabotages what we can really do. Like when people would hear that I was doing this, they'd be like, why are you going to hurt yourself? I mean, that is so dangerous. And I'm like, what is more dangerous? Sitting on uh, your lazy boy every night, eating a gallon of ice cream or running a hundred miles, you know? And then you get into ridiculous arguments with people like that, you know? It's like, um, and so I don't know, a part of me just always wants to find out what I'm made of, what I'm capable of. And the greatest thing that soccer ever gave me was it took me all the way, all the way around the world, right? Like, so I've played in the slums of Africa. I've played in prisons in Chile. Um, I've played in, in, in the bush of Congo, right? Like all over. And, uh, so I've seen like what real poverty is and, and, uh, and, uh, but I've also seen how a lot of times those people are way happier than we are. Right. And so I think, especially in America, but as human beings in general, we seek comfort. We want comfort. And I just think comfort is a killer of all things good. Thompson set out on this new phase of his life, intent on testing the limits of his comfort. And along the way, he had a rendezvous with the soccer world again. Soccer Resilience is a company that works with clubs, teams, coaches, and players in an effort to build confidence, overcome adversity, and train both the body and the mind of youth and developing soccer athletes. You know, it's taking my whole life, my experiences of being a dumbass kid and um, losing focus and, and really understanding that I don't, we as humans, I believe, don't go through things just for ourselves, but for other people. And so since I've gone through myself, I'm very open. That's why I say I'm an open book. I talk about anything. Like when I say I'm a Christian, I say I'm a jacked up human being. I need help every single day. And that's what I'm doing when I say I'm a Christian. I raise my hand and saying, I can't do it by myself. I'm screwed up. I need a God that is way better than me and greater than me and more powerful than me to help me be a little bit kinder to give back, right. And not be selfish and, um, not be judgmental and condescending. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't think that this would really turn into much. I didn't know what it would turn into. I didn't know that like COVID would come. I didn't know like the Olympics and some mobiles and mental health, but I knew that I had such a passion. So I was, I was on a podcast with a friend of mine, Jonathan Van Horn, and the whole premise of the podcast was talking about pros transitioning to life after sport because it is like a death and it is one of the hardest things that all pros go through. And I struggled through it. And so I was eager to like share my experiences and learn from others and those sorts of things. And um, so I knew I just had a real passion to help people and, and kids and had to do with soccer. And so it's, it's been really awesome. Sport is um, the greatest opportunity to change the world. And I think these youth clubs have such an opportunity. They really do. And so how do they engage? I think a part of it is if it's not soccer resilience, you got to start somewhere, right? So find someone that knows something about this and talk to them about it. 
and, and, and do the homework, right? Like, it's not enough to just say, um, I don't know where to start. And we get that a lot. Like, we can't just, you can't just throw stuff at them. I'm like, well, you got to start somewhere, you know, like you got, you got to start having the conversation. And that's a lot of this is normalizing the conversation, right? Like it's actually really normal to take Zoloft. I bet a lot of people do it. And I'm not saying that medicine, like we should all just go to revert to medicine if we're struggling, like seek help um, for sure. The right kind of help, um, but start somewhere. And so how we would incorporate, we really are passionate about influencing three audiences, players, parents, and coaches. And we tend to focus on the, the players a lot, but in my opinion, coaches change culture. Um, um, so really a lot of it's about the education, education, giving these coaches, the tools, the verbiage, the language, um, the how to help their players to help the parents, right? Um, getting, giving parents perspective, right? Because let's be honest, as a parent, you don't often have that because you're so focused on your son and everybody wants their son to be the next Messi or Ronaldo or Pele, right? Um, or Jessica McDonald or see how I did there, Mia Hamm or um, Cara Ricaro, you know, all those awesome female athletes, female pro soccer players. Um, and it's easy just to lose focus. And a lot of kids, too many kids walk around for their whole life, for the rest of their lives with scars from coaches that are just worried about winning, right? So, so parents, and it's not just coaches, we don't bash coaches, right? Like players and parents and the media uh, and leaders, we have to give coaches permission to be about more than winning, which is hard, right? Because that means you're probably going to have to lose games, um, to teach kids how to play the right way. I mean, I, I don't know if I would have made the um, uh, the assessment that I needed help as like a youth, you know, like, um, but obviously I did because I made a lot of dumb, dumb choices, right? And, uh, but as a pro, I would have paid somebody. I would have paid somebody, I would have invested in my career. Um, I would have gotten help. You know, it's, it's the older I get, the more ultra marathons I run, the more kids I have, the more I really truly believe that life is lived between the years. It's truly 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it. That's the end of episode 45. Thank you so much for listening to Wells' story. If you want to follow him or his work with Soccer Resilience, you can find him on Instagram at Wells Thompson and at Soccer Resilience. Links to the Soccer Resilience website will also be in the show notes. If you liked the story you just heard, I would really appreciate if you went to the link in the show notes and completed the listener survey. It helps me cultivate more exciting episodes with speakers that you find pertinent. I'd love your input. Next week, we're staying on the soccer train with Tista and Jared Sullivan, who will give an in-depth look at playing at international clubs and what growing up in a soccer academy setting looks like. But until then, see you next week.